I wanna see you do better. Fly, I'ma need a propeller. Fly. When it's cold on the wall, like a sweater. Sweater. When I'm high in the train, in the weather. Only had one time, you hear my voice. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing good. How about you, Coach? Man, I'm better than I'm supposed to be. Y'all know how it goes. Better than I'm supposed to be always. That's dope, man. That's, that's good. That's dope. good. That's good. It's nice to officially yeah. meet you. I'm yeah. Coach Jade. Yeah, we just talked. My partner. We spoke on the phones. My uh, my partner I was talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we'll just kind of get started. Uh, you could just kind of. Yeah yourself and give like a little bit of background about information about you yeah absolutely absolutely so my name is michael morgan i am the uh, assistant coach at alabama a&m university i'm also the recruiting coordinator at alabama a&m university on the women's staff um and so this is our fourth year here we're a historically black college and university so we're hbcu uh largest one in the state of alabama uh, we play in the SWAC, which is the Southwestern Athletic Conference. It's uh, it's an all HBCU conference, actually. So unbelievable, unbelievable environment all of the time. And then, you know, me, I'm I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. Fell in love with the game of basketball at a young age. It was my outlet. And uh, the great thing about basketball was the hoop was was always available, regardless of what you know time of day it was, whatever I was going through. Uh, the hoop was always available, and I always had a ball, so it was it was my refuge. Nice. Like, how did how did you first get introduced to the game? Ooh, um, so what's what's interesting is I, I first got introduced um, to the game of basketball. Honestly, I was at football practice. So, you know, we, um, you know, Florida football is, you know, it's king. It's, it's, it's real deal. And so what's interesting is we would practice at this um, huge park. And, um, you know, the park had a football field on it. And then there was like probably eight full courts that was like right across from the, from the field. And every night when we'd be leaving, I mean, it would be hundreds of people showing up to hoop and they would just have you know full court games like every night and so what's interesting is you know my mom single mom you know she she kind of she wasn't really big on the football thing she came and just said nah you can't do this anymore and uh there was really nothing else to do so it was like you know you either went and you went to you know I don't know if y'all have Powell we have Powell football um when I was growing up which is police athletic league and so it was either you play pile football or you win in hoop. That's really all there was for you where I was at. So I had to go over to the course and start, you know, trying to get get better. Yeah. That's who do you like? Who who were like some players growing up that you like idolized? Like man, yeah, yeah. So uh, ooh, I mean Mike. You know Mike is just. I mean Mike is Mike. I mean it just is what it is. Like he was the deal. You know. But he was also what's interesting is you 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 just um you had this reverence for Mike, like no I can't be like Mike, nobody can be like Mike, so I'm gonna have to pick some other dudes that maybe I can be similar to if that makes any sense um you know for me, one of the things is it was very interesting. I grew up in the inner city, and so there wasn't any white hoopers around me, like I was the only white kid on my team like ever. And there was nobody coming to the park. So um, 
I fell in love with Bobby Hurley and Christian Laidner at Duke. Like, and then like Wally Zerviak comes around and he's getting super buckets at Miami of Ohio. And um, I mean, it was just, then there was a, a point in time when uh, Bob Huggins first went to West Virginia. He had a, he had a four player and I can't even think of his name right now, but he just got, and he got buckets. So, and what was interesting for me too, was who I, who I idolized really kept molding and changing because my freshman year of high school, I was a five foot six point guard and I was kind of chunky. So I also love Khalid el because he's, you know, he's a little heavier set, ran his mouth, but he got it done. And um, so I love Khalid el at UConn. And then I grow seven inches in one summer. And yeah, so I go from being five, six to being like six, two, my position's changing now. I don't really know. And and so as my position changed, also some of the people that I paid attention to really did. And that's when when Wally Zerbiak was like, yes, Wally, JJ Reddick, um, those guys, because I started realizing, you know, I'm not athletic at all. I'm not about to do anything athletically oriented that's gonna keep me on this floor. So I actually wanted to be like JJ and Shane Battier mixed in one person. So I was going to like take three charges a game and try to hit like six threes. That's what I was trying to do. So get buckets and take charges. So those are all of the people. Nice. Just going ahead and get, getting the job done, man. Putting the ball yeah. in the booth, man. That's yeah. What's up, man? Yeah. With your basketball career, like what helped it transition to your love of coaching? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that was so great about my my playing career, like one of the things that molded me um, as a coach with my playing career, is I was never good enough. Like I wasn't good. Um, I ended up playing Division One college basketball, but it's it's really interesting. You know, my freshman year I get cut. I actually had to be the manager on the JV team and get the water and run the clock, and then I could practice. They let me practice with them in between. And so I wasn't even good enough to make my JV team my freshman year. Um, like seven dudes fell off the team. So I got to play the second half of the year. You know, my sophomore year, um, I I made the team. I was like the sixth or seventh man. My junior year, I'm finally good enough, but it was at a cost. And that cost was I didn't take my academics serious in any way, shape or form. Like, one of the things that happened to me my sophomore year was I went to an AAU tryout and there's only one AAU team in the city of Tampa at the time. And um, there was 10 dudes on that team. Seven went BCS high major and the other three dudes played wide receiver in the NFL. So needless to say, I didn't make that travel team in any way, shape or form. And when I left that, that tryout, I really went home. I apologized to my mom for driving me to it. I said like, I wasted your time. I didn't belong here. And I went, looked in the mirror, and was like, bro, you got to get better, like a lot better. And unfortunately, I don't really have a lot of guidance. So I was like skipping school to go hoop. Like literally was like, I don't have time for school. I got to work on my game mentality. Like mama mentality with no direction, you know, like it's so I really didn't accomplish the things I think I would have I would have been able to if I had some guidance. 
Um, and it took me going into the military to get me the structure I needed. And then I was finally able to blossom into the player that I could be. So, you know, not really a great high school career, ineligible, cut, all of those things. But then I go from that to, to a year and a half after I graduate high school, I'm playing at a Division I school. And it was literally just because I had three meals a day, a gym to go to, some older guys giving me some guidance. And so now all of a sudden I've gone from nobody to a division one player. And I think it was always there. It just wasn't molded. I didn't have direction. I didn't have guidance. I wasn't high profile. So nobody was really investing in me. I didn't have things at home. So that really just, uh, that, that creates a, a unique individual when you start thinking about, well, what do I want to do? And so what I want to do is create a situation where others don't have to struggle the way that I did, um, help people with passion to get them the, 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 the things that they need so that they can maximize who they are and who they're capable of being. And that's really when I started coaching. Yeah, you really relate to that. Just thinking backing off what you said about guidance and how a lot of these kids, you know, they just don't know the right way. Yeah. They, they, they have the passion. They, they want to make it to a certain level, but they don't got that guidance, you know, to tell yeah. them, hey, you got you to gotta be in the gym four times a day. Yeah. You got to get yeah. your shots up at least yeah. 200 makes minimum. Yeah, yeah. Like, just to, and you got to go who? You yeah. know what I'm saying? And like, and work on your game. And that's, that's just one thing that like touches me as a coach, yeah. just because living here in Alaska, there's, there's limited amounts of people and yeah. there's limited amounts of hoopers. And so yeah. that being said, like as, as, as hoopers as ourselves, you know, like we've, we worked hard, things of that nature, but we still didn't have the guidance. So it's kind of like a chicken yeah. with our head cut, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But what we absolutely saw me, and that's, that's, that's me. I mean, I was playing, you know, Friday, Saturday, I was playing pickup for, I mean, six, seven, eight hours, you know, I mean, like, where I lived at, it wasn't a whole lot of great things going on. Yeah. So literally on Friday night, I would be at the park and, and they, there was some street lights that would hit the court so we could play, not because there was lights at the court, but because the street lights made it enough. We'd be out there till two o'clock in the morning, just hoping. Like we didn't, we didn't have anything else constructive, productive. It was like you, you, you were there or you were running the streets. That's really what it was. Um, but not understanding things like you got to have a daily plan. You got to work hard and smart. You know, like there has to be, like you said, like. I'm going to be required to, to need to be effective with certain skill pieces for my team. And so I have to be great at those things. Like there are certain shots that no matter what is going on in my day, I bare minimum got to hit those shots. I bare minimum got to be able to score in these ways. Um, and that's what we try to work with our players on. It's like, I don't need you to have 20 hard moves counter moves, post moves, like these are the shots we're going to need you to make, you know, get 150, you know, buckets a day with these. And then if you want to go work on other stuff, you want to go play pickup, great. You need to, but you just got to, you got to perfect these things that you're going to be asked to do every day. And that's, no one ever explained that to me. So we weren't even like 
we weren't even doing skills workouts. We was literally playing pickup three on three, four on four for like six, seven hours. Like, like just playing pickup all day, every day. And um, so my skill set didn't get developed as much as it, it could have if I would have known some of those other things. Sure, sure. And so with like all with the team that you have and had previously, you know, um, just talk to us about how your guys' season went before everything had gone down. Yeah, so a little bit about us. You know, when we first got to Alabama A&M, this was the worst Division One women's basketball program in the country. So literally RPI 353 out of 353. And so we inherited a, a really like a program that had been struggling. This last year in year four, we won 17 games, which is the new school record. Uh, for wins in a season, um, we actually, um, you know, we knocked off a, a, a major Mountain West school at their place um, at home. We lost to, uh, not at our place, but at their home. It was on the West Coast. Um, we competed with several American schools. So our season was, was pretty good. I mean, we are kind of moving into that realm of being able to maybe you know, start being seriously considered for one of the, the better mid-major programs at some point, hopefully. Um, be able to crack that mid-major top 25 would be awesome for us. Um, and, and our season kind of, we had started to click at the right time. Um, we were at home, you know, a week before our conference tournament and the number one team in the league comes to our place, we take them down. Like we took them down and we won our first round quarterfinal game. And we were going to be playing the same number one team that we had just beaten at home. So it was huge for us. And what's, what's really been huge for us with our program is like, you have to begin to believe that you can be a champion before you can actually be a champion. And with a lot of our players, as they have resurrected our program from being dead last in the country, the problem is they take a lot of they've taken a lot of lumps over the last two years as well. So this year was the first time that it was like we got what we need, we can beat people, and we're starting to believe that we can beat people. And we we really like as a team, we had bought holistically into like we're gonna we're gonna win a conference championship. And now we didn't get a chance to complete it. But um, I liked our chances just as much as anybody else's in the semifinals because we were we had won ten of our last twelve games. I mean, we and, and and our players were just locked in in a way that I mean we had never seen them like that. They just they're different now. We're really excited about it. So, like, what what are some things that you guys look for as far as like recruiting and things yeah. to kind of you know make it at that Division One level? Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, what's interesting, I sent, I sent a list the other day, um, and I'll kind of go over those things because it's, it's, it really, it's not as difficult or as complicated, I think, as sometimes we like to make it. Um, it, it always boils down to about five things, and that is going to be your size, your skill set, your athleticism, there's going to be an IQ piece, and then there's going to be some intangibles. And so what we talk about all of the time is, like, so, like it, we break it down where if somebody has the prototypical things, whether it be size or skill set or athleticism, 
we kind of created a scale. And so if you have two to three of those things that we're like, okay, maybe it's two or maybe it's three. And it's like, you know, you have the right size, you have the right athleticism, and maybe you have a decent IQ and we give you like credit for two of them. You're a division one player. You don't have to have all five of those things. If you have two or three of those things that are legitimately at a good to elite level, you are, you know, you're a division one player just with two or three of those things. And then as you move past that, it's like, if you have three of them, you're a, if we can sit here and say solidly, you have three, you're a, you're a definite mid-major division one player. If you have three to four, you're a mid to high major division one player. And then if you have all five, like if you have prototypical size, you know, athleticism, got a good IQ, um, you have a good skill set, you know, and you're good at five things, you're a pro. You're going to play and make money playing basketball. And um, so what I did, I kind of broke down some of the things with the skill set to help out a little bit. I mean, everyone knows what size looks like. Um, everybody knows what size looks like. And we kind of know what athleticism looks like, you know. Um, but skill set, like, it's not just your ability to, like, handle the basketball. You have to be able to shoot the basketball. You have to be able to score effectively shooting the basketball at all three levels. It's not just threes. It's mid-ranges. It's around the rim, finishing different ways around the rim, being able to finish with both hands around the rim. Um, you got to be able to pass the basketball. Like, if you can't pass with both hands effectively and create good shots for other people, then your skill set is lacking in that area um, because there's, there's not a lot of people that shoot high percentages off of terrible passes. Like, people need good passes to make high percentages. Um, you got to be able to handle the ball confidently with both hands. And you don't have to be able to do six guard moves. You really actually only need one. You need to be able to handle the ball both hands. You need to be able to put people on your hip. And you need to be able to have one change of direction move. That's really it. Um, and then you need to have primary and secondary moves. And one of the things that I think is lost with a lot of players right now is we don't we assume that primary and secondary moves are combo guard moves with us dribbling at a cone or chair or whatever else it might be. Um, if you want a, a real quick way to get yourself an opportunity to play a division one level, learn how to use both feet and play off the jab. If you can jab and go, or you can sweep the basketball or jab and go across and, and, realistically um, score effectively off one and two dribbles, not one and two dribbles past something, like not I'm going to dribble up to something, make, you know, two guard moves and then go and I got two dribbles, but like literally I'm going to catch it and I'm going to make plays with two dribbles. You're going to give yourself a great chance. And then kind of the intangibles is it's always going to be about effort. Effort is a skill set at this point. Um, your work ethic. I think the other thing too is, your, your, your desire to learn the game. I talk to so many young people and they don't really have a desire to grow at their position or with the game. And so film is going to be one of the most important things when you get to this level. So if you don't kind of enjoy watching the game right now, how am I supposed to help you when you get here? Mm -hmm. And then lastly is passion. Like I want to see it on the floor. 
I want to see people flexing, screaming. I want to see when you're on the bench, like an intangible for me is when you are not in the game, are you a cheerleader? Like literally, are you a cheerleader or are you about yourself? And those are different ways you can set yourself apart as far as the different intangibles. Yeah. And then, so my next question would be, so if I'm a young lady from Alaska, what do I have to necessarily do to, to help better my chances of playing like division one? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing that I think you need to do is you need to, I, I always recommend before you reach out to coaches, have an idea of what their league and level looks like, like do research, you know, um, because, you know, if, if you're going to email me, for instance, okay, uh, and you're going to email me game film, the first thing is that you have to operate with the 10% kind of marketing concept. Like you're, if you get 10% feedback, you did really, really well. So don't get discouraged when you send out five emails and you don't get one back. Like, you're only going to get a 10% return probably on the emails you send out. So you can take it as a, you can kind of get sensitive about it and be like, well, no one cares. Or you can be proactive about it and say, well, then I'm going to email 100 people so I can at least not get 10 responses. And I think you always have to take the proactive approach. But the other thing that I think is really important is if you haven't seen somebody play and then you send them an email, you're really hurting yourself. Like, because if they watch you play and it doesn't remotely look like they can play, that you can play on their level, they're going to completely disregard your, your, your email. But if you can be realistic about your abilities and you can target emailing people that you can probably make a difference for, or that you can realistically play on that level, you're going to be you're going to be amazed because you're not only going to get responses, but if they don't have a scholarship for you, they will probably put you on to somebody else at a similar level. So you just created opportunities for yourself. And I think that's what you're trying to do is create opportunities for yourself. So instead of, you know, emailing, you know, all of the BCS schools when you're a D2 player or a low D1, target the level that you can make an impact on, and then you'll be amazed because you'll probably get more responses and you'll get people that'll forward your emails to other people in your contact information. And so then you'll create more opportunities for yourself. But if you don't know what the level looks like, then you're not helping yourself when you send that email out. And then just like talking about emails, how should like an example layout of an email be for a kid yeah. who doesn't know how to email college yeah. coaches? Yeah, absolutely. So do your research on whatever school you're sending it to. Like, um, I'm not going to say you need to create a separate email for every single school that you send. That's very time consuming. I know that can be very tough. So Try to keep it as short and sweet as you can. But I think that at the same time, don't say, coach, I know you have an amazing program and I want to be a part of it. You actually need to find some sort of a piece that is in your first two sentences that is specific to that school 
so it can make the coach say, oh, wow, I, you know, she knows that our, you know, our engineering program is a top 10 engineering program in the country, and she's an engineering major. Because me as a college coach, that's one of the recruiting pitches that I'm selling. So what I would say is, you know, I would really work hard to find some kind of a niche about the school that is, that is a realistic thing that everybody kind of knows or it's a big deal for them because it means that once they read your email, they're going to be more inclined to at least watch your film. But if it just says, you know, I know you guys have an amazing program at such and such and such. Well, when we won zero games our first year, people were sending us emails about how they know we have an amazing program. We just won zero basketball games. That's kind of tough, you know, like, so when I read that email and I just won zero basketball games, I'm like, do they look at our schedule? Do they see that we, you know, and no offense, the young ladies who won zero games, they worked them unbelievably hard. They take the do they research? Something. And it, again, take 20 minutes, you know, and just, hey, you know, find something. Because again, I think that you're the more the more ownership you take of your recruiting process and your emails, the more likely you are to get a response. If you just, if you just generally send out emails, you're going to get probably less response. If you're actually serious about a certain type of school or a certain program that you're looking for, whether academically or whatever else, I mean, it might be a sorority. Maybe you want to join a sorority and that school has it. You know those things are those things will help you. Okay, for sure. That's that's great. Like I know a lot of kids are gonna take that and really run with it because um, I know as me growing up, I didn't have a layout, didn't know how to do that. You know, and that's yeah. you're just giving out gems to all the youngins, and like we appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like for us, we're we're HBCU, so it's like if you say I really want to. If, if your first two lines are, Coach Morgan, I really want to play at a historically black college, okay, I'm going to at least look at your highlight now because you know what? That's one of our niches. So I think that that's really important. That's really huge is find a niche of the school and, and sell the coach on how you want that niche. And then uh, what, is, what is your take and how do you see uh, – prep school you know like your extra year your gap year like what is your take on that and and if it's beneficial when a kid should go or shouldn't or just your take on the prep school so I love prep school um I love prep school I used to coach prep school I had uh several young ladies that took advantage of it so I helped uh with a, a unbelievable guys program out of Tampa Florida Oldsmar Christian School um my guy, Ryan Pannoni, is the head coach of the, the Erie Bayhawks in the G League. He was the head coach at the time, and I was his assistant. And prep school, just I think prep school, I think junior college, I think sometimes those things can get molded into the same realm is everybody's route doesn't look the same. So understand what you're trying to accomplish and then – look at every single one of the routes and see if one of those routes can help you. Um, I've had young ladies who had zero offers 
to any school out of high school end up getting offered by ACC schools after one year of prep school? Yes. So, you know, it's, it's not, I think what can happen is there is a degree where people get injured sometimes and they just need to recover. People play for teams that aren't as good. So it's really kind of hard to tell how good you are. Um, people play in areas that are less recruited. Um, there are so many dynamics, you know, just because you don't have the scholarship you want doesn't mean you're not good enough to play at that level. There might be some variables that prohibited you from being able to accomplish those things. And if you look at prep school like this is an, an opportunity for another chance, I think sometimes that's all we really need is another chance. Um, so if you can, if you can have an opportunity, if you don't have what you want out of high school, um, and you can have another opportunity to play yourself into things, prep school is an amazing opportunity. If you got injured in your career one or two times and it ate away at, you know, two travel seasons or two high school seasons, and you are finally, uh, better now, like you're healthy, prep school is an unbelievable way to bet on yourself and say, Hey, I can make this thing happen. And I'm gonna go over here and I'm going to take care of things. Um, prep school is also great. If you need some academic help, you know, we've had a lot of young men that we were able to get the SAT and the ACT tutoring that they need so that they could move on and play at the division one level, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's so many, so many advantages to prep school. All right, we're about to uh, play this game, uh, just quick hitters. We're going to ask you for two minutes. We're going to two minutes. you, you know, kind of some random questions. All right. And just, like, say whatever first thing that pops up to your mind, man. Yeah, yeah here we go. <laughs> just something fun we like to do, so. Yeah, yeah. We'll, go, we'll, we'll probably just go with a minute. minute. We'll go with yeah, a minute. Yeah. All right. I'll go. All right, yeah, go ahead. All right, uh, most comfortable hoop kicks of all time. Ooh, most comfortable hoop kicks of all time. Ooh. I'm a, I'm a, uh, oh, man. <laughs> you can't ask, you can't ask old people because we don't, we have, I ain't really hooped like that in so long. Uh, yeah, I mean, when the Harachis came back out, though, when the Harachis came back out in the, in the early 2000s, I had about every color, like, those were my those are my shoes, so I'm gonna go with the Harachis there. I had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> uh, what show are you currently currently binge watching? Um, this is gonna sound crazy. I watch it with my wife. We we watch Downton Abbey together, bro. Like I'm with wifey, happy wife, happy life. It's I don't know. I just I just be sitting there watching it. I don't know. It just draws you in. So yeah. Nice. Uh, favorite quarantine snack. Oh man, so the almond pe the almond M&Ms are like just addictive. <laughs> um I have to ration myself because we buy the big bags and I like get a handful and I'm like, okay, after this I'm done. But I can't bring the bag with me. It's terrible. My my wife's like, Are you serious right now? I'll just sit there and just crush them. So yes. <laughs> okay. Uh favorite uh NBA team. You know, um, 
I, I wouldn't even say I have one to be honest with you. I just, I just like watching, I just like watching the NBA, I like players, you know, um, you know, that's, I'm, I'm excited about the youth in the league right now too. You know, I wouldn't say I have a favorite NBA team. Mm-hmm. Or what yeah. about, or who is, who is a player currently right now that you like enjoy playing or enjoy watching? That's like the young one coming up. One of the young ones. That I mean, John ja Moran is, I mean, I, I love John ja Moran. Like he's just so, I love his passion. Uh, I think he's really similar to like a young Russell Westbrook, you know, and, and he just is just, I love when people play and he's, he's, he's very similar also to how Dwayne Wayne was early in his career in Miami, just reckless flying around. Um, so you love that. I mean, LeBron is just mesmerizing. Um, Giannis feels like it's just a cheat code, like on a video game. Um, I mean, I really enjoy watching those guys a lot. Um, and then I hope Jamal, uh, I hope Jamal Crawford gets back in the league too, because that's like I love watching Jamal Crawford. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, that's that answers the questions. Uh. Yeah, man. Anything like you got you want to say or that you want to let people know about? Oh, anything I want to let people know about. I mean, just, um, you know, I think something is big, obviously, um, you know, with what's going on in our country right now. I think that it's it's really important that we just, um, you know, we work hard to to know the things that we believe in and that we're passionate about. And then we try to work on putting together some ways in which we can effectively make change happen. Um, I'm so thrilled to see um, all of these protests. Um, I'm thrilled to see those things. I, I am so excited about the potential of this energy just carrying over into so many other things. And I wanna see it happen as far as you know education and and different things of that nature. Being at a HBCU, um, I understand and I and I see where we could really benefit from resources being, you know, plugged in and and, and putting us in a situation where we can um, compete in a lot of different ways. And I just want to see people carry this energy and effort over into um, into education. Um, I think into family as well. I want to see us, you know, work hard to raise up the next generation really, really hard as well um, into maybe working harder at making commitment a bigger deal. Um, you know, let's, let's be people of our word, um, you know, so that we can grow so many different areas. So that's those are the things that I'm just kind of, you know, big on right now. Just want to see that stuff continue to carry over. How is it, can you kind of explain to people how it is like an HBCU? Because a lot of people don't, might not know how just like the environment or just kind of like. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things, obviously, I'm sure we all figured out I'm, I'm sick. I'm a white dude. Um, but uh, I grew up in the, I grew up in the inner city in Tampa, Florida. And so was, I went to an HBCU as well. And so one of the things that is really dynamically different about an HBCU is it's a place that is 100% committed to um, the black community and the urban community. Everything that you're going to encounter at a HBCU is 
from the black community and the urban community. And it's it's really dynamically different because there's not um, this wide range of communities that they have to serve and um, at a HBCU, which other schools have to do because they have a, a different variable of of people there. Um, so you know, it's it's just amazing to you know, it's it's amazing with um, the education. I think what can be really tremendous about being at a HBCU is I think that um, for me growing up in my community people that grew up in the low-income community in Tampa or that were minorities, there was a lot of similarities. And so you can even have your own prejudices as though that's what all the low-income communities or minority communities look like. And then when you go to HBCU and you've got people from the urban community, low-income community, the black community that are from Cali, that are from Chicago, that are from Indianapolis, you really... Um, you really get amazed by the fact that you have to work through a lot of the things that you believe because there might've been some ease for you to kind of push those into areas of, oh, well, you just don't understand because you don't come from where I come from. And then when you're standing with somebody else who comes from the same communities mm -hmm. and you can't use that experiential situation at that point, you have to really actually um, articulate yourself. So, um, you know, HBC community is just, just totally different. I tell this to people all the time, like, um, you know, it's, it's funny you talk to kids, you're recruiting them and, and they say, well, I want to go to school that's really diverse. And I'm like, oh, okay. What's, what school is that? Like what school is really diverse? Like name the really diverse school in the country. Because if you look at every institution for the most part, it's, uh, you know, 60 or 70% of one race or nationality that dominates that institution. The dynamically different thing about an HBCU is that dominant, um, you know, race is black at our school, which is, is unbelievable to have 6,500 students on our campus and then for 75% of them to be, you know, young black and African-American uh, people. So it's just, it's just totally different. It's a totally different feel. Um, I think that things that might be hard for other communities to like maybe accept or to understand maybe music style of language, style of dress, things that maybe in other communities and cultures can get you looked at a little differently. Um, that's that's how everybody is in, in the community. So it's really comfortable too. I think that's one of the things that's really, really different is you feel like you're a part of the biggest family you've ever been a part of in your whole life when you get to a HBC because you feel that relaxed and comfortable. And then just one last um, So you are like right now knowing all the things that you know you know, as your coaching career has gone on. Um, what would you tell the person, the coach, uh, in this first year coaching? Like, what, what are some advice? What is some advice that you would tell him? Like, yeah. All that you know right now. Yeah. So I think one of the, the number one thing is, like, focus on where you're at. Um, I think so often we can be trying to look to next steps. And at the end of the day, if you're not great, 
at, at where you're at, um, then you won't be ready for the next place that you try to get to. And that's, that's something that's huge. You know, like none of the opportunities that I've gotten were on purpose. I didn't plan on becoming a division one college basketball coach. We were actually just trying to have the number one high school team in the country. And that was our consuming focus was, and then on accident, a bunch of other things happened. And so then when I went to the other levels, when I was at JUCO or wherever else, again, it wasn't, I got to go D1. I got to go D1. I got to get high major. I got to, no, I'm just trying to figure out a way to win a championship here. And what people don't realize is there's so much value in overcoming the obstacles of each and every situation that you're in, because you're going to have to overcome obstacles regardless of where you're at. No matter where you're at, no matter what school you go to, there's zero perfect schools. There's zero perfect schools. There's nowhere that has everything perfectly. And even if there is a school that does have everything perfectly, they don't got perfect basketball players. So you still got to overcome obstacles. And so there's, there's so much value in just trying to be great at what is in front of you. And you'll be amazed at what kind of a path it clears. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now, with your question, are you trying to ask maybe about someone who's like trying to be a college coach as well, or just a what? 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 Did you have any kind of branches off on that question? Or nah, I just like I, just, I wanted you to just let let just some of the viewers and the listeners know just a little bit about your journey coming from you know coaching your first year to now. You know, yeah. so with that being said, you know there are coaches and young coaches training uh assistant coaches head coaches like what are what are some advice that you can give them as well you know to try to make it out to make it and achieve their goals yeah absolutely so i mean i think one of the first things that i would always recommend for trainers is um you know and and i used to be you know i used to train as well full-time um figure out what that kid actually needs to be great at for the teams that they play for. And then, you know, maneuver their training sessions around those things. Because at the end of the day, you know, every kid's not going to have the opportunity maybe to Euro step in a game. But if, if that kid's role is to hit the corner three and they can start hitting the corner three consistently, then you've accomplished your goals in making them a better basketball player. Um, and I, so I think understanding what people's skill sets and then their roles are uh, for their programs is really huge because you're trying to elevate their performance um, when they have the opportunity to play. I think that's really huge for trainers. Um, I think for coaches that are trying to work hard, um, I think – trying to work hard to maybe get to another level. Um, there is absolutely no one that is consistently successful that it was easy for them. Like there was nothing that was given to any of us, like nothing. My, my, my last high school team, I think I made like negative $14,000 coaching, you know, and I worked 50 hours a week and we were really, really good. And 12 kids signed scholarships. But, you know, there is, a, there is going to be a massive level of investment regardless of where you're at. 
And so if you think that there's a point in time when it's going to get easier, then you, you need to probably just find something else that you're so gifted at that there's a point in time when it's going to get easier because being in this profession, there are unbelievably creative, talented, hardworking people in this profession, whether it's women's basketball, whether it's men's basketball, they are competitive. They work unbelievably hard and there's never going to be a point in time where it's going to be easy. Never uh, at all. You know, it's, it's just never going to be there. Um, and so that's something you have to kind of get rid of as a mindset. Like, when is this going to get easier? It's, it's not going to get easier. You're just going to continuously run into new challenges. So, you know, don't look for it to get easier. Um, and then also don't for a minute think that you're self-made. Like there's zero self-made people, like none. Um, if some of the people that are in my life didn't help me out, whether it's in basketball or, you know, really in my spiritual walk, like, you know, in my relationship with the Lord, if people didn't help me get my mind together or help me with my education or help me in school or, you know, then I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at right now. So there's nobody who's really self-made. And if you think you are, um, you're setting yourself up for a pretty destructive road because you're going to, if you're self-made, then you're going to run into somebody like me and I'm going to have a whole team behind me and we're going to smash you. So that's fine. If you want to come take on me in the army, it's, it's whatever, you know? Um, so just, just, you know, get over yourself don't want it to be easy, um, you know, and, and just be great at what you're at and where you're at. Okay, okay. Well, uh, we appreciate your time, man, and yeah. this is beautiful. And with that being said, just uh, let the people know where they can uh, follow you and find you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, social media is at uh, CoachRed116 on Twitter. Um, I, there's different communications. So, if you're an email person, it's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N at A-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Uh, if you're a texter, hey, my cell number is 727-484-0017. So you got social media, text message, email. If you want to get a hold of me, you got it all. So just hit me up and, and let me know how I can help. Yeah, appreciate you. God bless. Hope to meet you uh, in the future, man. For sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank y'all for y'all's time and what you're doing. Let me know how I can help. Yes, sir. We'll do. We'll be in touch, man. Take All care. Right. See y'all later. I want to see you doing better.